This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. During my 37 years within a cult, I can remember people leaving. They left never to return and soon to be forgotten. And while under the cult programming, we focused on the things in their new lives that we considered to be evil, telling ourselves that their sudden change exposed who they really are. Now, having spent several months on the other side of this fence and watching the hundreds that are beginning to flee, I realized just how backwards that that statement really was. Our thinking was more directed at pacifying our inner questions and concerns rather than targeting the person for which it was intended. There is such a wide range of change and an even wider range of duration before these things take place. Some have left the cult for many years and really have not changed that much at all. For others, it is a slow and gradual process, taking one step at a time as they learn for themselves between right and wrong. Some escapees, however, hit the ground running. Their change is immediate, and they seem to make themselves noticeably as different as possible in as just as much little time. Their difference in appearance or personality is so sudden that, in fact, cult members would consider them rebels, and even more to the point, rebels without a cause. But if we examine this a little closer, we find that even the runners, <laughs> even to the runners, this statement doesn't quite fit. When a person has been indoctrinated with cult programming for several years, and suddenly drops all rules and takes the opposite stand, it's a complete shock. Not just for the cult members, but also to those who are fleeing, but fleeing a little more carefully. <laughs> Even to those on the outside, these people are rebels without a cause. For a long time, I looked at these people with a very wrong and very critical point of view. I actually looked down on them as I tried to untangle all of that extra-biblical teaching from my mind. And while I was working through all of my issues, they seemed to be happy and free, not caring the slightest with regards to their eternal destination. 
Looking back, I realized that many of them were struggling much, much more, much worse than even the rest of us. There is emotional scarring from the years of emotional and spiritual abuse, and it causes great inward pain. Many of them also have silent histories of physical or sexual abuse that turn those scars into open wounds that may never heal. While other churches are taught to expose and correct and even notify authorities, cults by nature are taught to hide these things under the rug. The system could not survive if that rug were not there. And while the illegal abuse seems to be the most impact, that's simply not the case. Their, their memory can associate specific events with the abuse, label those as wrong, and just move on. But the emotional and spiritual abuse is much more difficult to label. Spiritual abuse occurs when a person in religious authority, usually having a unique spiritual practice, misleads or mistreats his following by misinformation or by abusing their position. This type of abuse, abuse is more difficult to heal because it cannot be noticed during one single event. There are hundreds, thousands of these slight tugs into the direction that they lead. This type of abuse is also very difficult to explain. One might point to a specific teaching or sermon to another cult member and the abuse is so small that it goes unnoticed. Many would even deny calling it abuse because the leader may have simply made a mistake or misspoken. To identify spiritual abuse, you must first examine the entire series of teachings, from the day the leader decided that he or she wanted to rise into authority, to the start and finish of their climb into power, to the teachings while under spiritual authority, and sometimes even to the last words spoken before their death. It's very similar to a criminal investigation. Finding the body does not label the suspect a killer. You must first find motive, and then you must find how that motive was employed. The cult that I escaped <clears throat> had many of these road signs. Some of them were strange, so strange that the cult pastors or cult members would ask, why would he purposefully do this? Why would he purposefully do that? They were subtle instances of spiritual abuse that seemed no man in their right mind would knowingly do. I heard the question, why would the leader lie about his own conversion to Christ? He continued preaching the gospel. I also heard this question, why would he lie about his own birth date? There's nothing to be gained by doing so. But when we take one or two, even ten or twenty instances of spiritual abuse, and examine them individually. They do seem silly. Even an expert examining them might toss them aside as mistakes or forgetfulness. But when we combine all of these misleading statements with the hundreds of similar instances of spiritual abuse, we find a pattern that is designed to lead the follower into a direction that is away from truth. It is because of this that we find rebels without a cause. They actually have a cause or a purpose, 
but they themselves do not fully understand what is behind that purpose. Some of them have tried to explain their spiritual abuse to family or friends, but are not able to piece together the motive for murder. Some of them have even stumbled across the loaded gun with the missing bullet in the chamber and smoke pouring out of the barrel, but without motive they might as well give up. These people are the ones that I feel the most compassion towards. They're reaching out, begging for others to notice, but they don't have all the information. They sense those thoughts from those scornful eyes and realize that they're quickly going to be an outcast. They've stumbled across the underlying issues, and they are forced to give up their life as they once knew it, and they just don't understand why. As they struggle to find themselves, they find themselves scorned, not by just the cult, but also by some that have escaped. Rebellion against the right purpose is praised, but a rebel without a cause is seen as reckless and dangerous. But these people, they do not create sudden change, drastic changes in their life because it is comfortable to them. Many times it is through severe inward pain. Many of their changes have to do with outward appearance or the actions that can easily be seen by others. They want to be noticed. They want to be observed as different from those who are under that same spiritual abuse that they have just uncovered. In my 37 years of bondage in the cult, I never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unlike several of my peers, I studied the cult teaching levels far beyond most, and I was very eager to listen to the cult leader's every single word. I knew almost every doctrine he created, every fictional story he told, every supernatural event that he deployed in his campaign of spiritual abuse, and many of the sermons I knew by heart. The gospel that we were taught was a different gospel. The differences were like night and day. From the day that Moses broke the stone tablets over the idolatrous and rebellious people, mankind has struggled to understand God's purpose in giving us the gospel. These rules under the Mosaic law had purpose, and Jesus tells us exactly what that purpose is. God wants us to have perfect love. Love for God and love for man. All of the commandments are summed up in these two things. Men do not understand. They focus their thoughts on the evil that is created by breaking the rules, rather than the good that God intended. Every single one of the Ten Commandments can be answered by love. If you love, you will not kill. If you love, you will not steal. In all things, love. When Christ came to fulfill the covenant that man could not keep, we entered into the eternal covenant of grace. And if we examine the spiritual abuse that the people suffered in the days of Christ, we find some very strong similarities. God was no longer the authority of the people. The scribes and the Pharisees were seen as these great spiritual leaders, and their interpretation of the law was the ultimate authority. Common man could not argue with their interpretation, because they had no spiritual authority, so they thought. They had lawyers, 
men who studied the law, the Mosaic law. These men would take the words of that law and twist them to their own benefit, raising the spiritual leaders into even higher authority. New laws were invented, and none of these new laws could be answered by love. They were laws simply because the leader proclaimed them to be so. To the scribes and Pharisees, these followers of Christ were also rebels without a cause. There were many laws under the, the Mosaic law that dealt with outward appearance, outward expressions, outward actions. These rules did have a purpose. God used the children of Israel to show us that mankind cannot save itself by their own works. It is only by the grace of God that we can be saved. Christ taught, by example, taught his disciples to be rebels without a cause, or rather, rebels against tyranny. Mark 7 gives us an example. Christ teaching against the Mosaic law regarding pork, food sacrifice to idols, and more. Mark 7 says this, And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing, and let me repeat that, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciple asked about the parable. And he said unto them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but in his stomach, and it is expelled. And it says here in parentheses in the scriptures, Thus he declared all foods clean. Then he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things, evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Mark 7. Christians today, they take the scripture, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, from Matthew 18, and they twist it out of context to say that we should respect the religious beliefs of others, no matter how wrong they are. I know many who have escaped the cult that will strictly adhere to their dress code simply because they want to show their respect to friends and family within the cult. What they do not realize is that they're not showing their respect to cult members. Once you're on the outside, all respect is lost. Instead, they are showing their support to that teaching, no matter how false. I can remember other cult members saying, She knows it's wrong to wear those pants when she's around us. She still wears them. <laughs> so, the laws of modesty have very little to do with sexuality. Breeches were actually women's garments. And the men wore robes, which were similar in structure to the dresses of women today. Unlike today, clothing was associated with stature. When the Bible instructs men and women not to wear 
instructs women not to wear garments that pertain to men or to wear modest clothing. These teachings are against pride. When Christ just called pride evil, and sadly the Pentecostal movement has taught men and women to become prideful in their choice of apparel. Others who do not follow those same rules are either scorned or condemned, making the clothing which seems modest with regards to sexuality, making it to become the very opposite of modest. Their clothing has now just became their idol. Anything that you include in your worship that does not follow the teachings of Christ and the new covenant can very easily become idolatrous. In of itself, there is no harm in wearing clothing that covers skin. I know very good Christian people who wear this type of modest clothing. But when your religion teaches you that you must live this way in order to be clean or pure, then you have just replaced the blood of Jesus Christ for those old rags. You have let your idol nullify the work that Christ did for you on the cross. Looking back, these rebels without a cause seem to be breaking rules that, that put them in their pathways that angels feared to tread. But after reading the Bible, without the blinders of spiritual abuse, I'm not so sure this is the case. Many of the rules that we were taught were scriptural, and we thought were scriptural through the twisting of the Bible seem less important as those twisted scriptures become untangled. Very little of our rules were founded in love for our fellow man, and many of them actually hurt our fellow man. Most of them filled our hearts with pride, which is sin. We placed more emphasis on these rules than we did the gospel of Jesus Christ, and these rules became our idols. While they probably do not yet realize it, these people who were rebels without a cause were actually lifting up their hands saying, we no longer submit to idolatry. We choose the blood.